0: Sorry about that. that's my fault there's nothing in the record thing
1: I mean, on the yeah.
0: my yeah. fault oh, my no that's all right I'm just I'm got oh here we go okay good thank you I'm gonna turn you off hi right. okay we got to get started here a minute late and I, I'm sorry I pushed the wrong button over here so anybody that's uh, attended online uh, it was my fault today don't my uh, don't push the buttons. Okay, I'm going to read you Psalm 119, verse 81, which is Kef. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, When will you comfort me, for I have become like a wineskin in smoke? Yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to come in here and to uh, meet once again Thursday afternoon. And uh, it's a nice, wonderful day outside, blue sky and sunny, and it's getting cooler and we thank you for that and we thank you for the safe arrival of the people that were visiting last week back up in arkansas and uh, sergio and Rhoda back down in um, fort lauderdale and we thank you for the chance to pray for all of the people who are out there that have said such kind words in the past week both by email and by letter and uh, how they're a part of this congregation and uh, it's it's so wonderful to have them attending with us even though they're so far away And we want to just commit to you ourselves and our study tonight and pray that we'll do a faithful job of it and that we'll um, honor your word and not mishandle it, but handle it properly according to what you have for us in this word. So uh, we look forward to it, and uh, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And, yeah, I I, uh, have several people that emailed, or I got a letter in the mail today, and they say hello to everybody in the congregation here. And uh, they always remember them. They're they're watching, and so they see you all the time. And so it's like they're with you. And you may not know who they are, but they know you. And uh, they always want to be remembered. So, uh, uh, maybe you feeling all better? Yeah, thanks for praying. All right, I'm I'm so glad to you see online. you. Good, good, good. Oh well, how y'all doing there? Um, so here we are. We got uh, before I get actually into Romans three seven because we got four more people walking in. Well, wait a second. Um, I want to tell you who has a CD player in their car. Yes. Okay, uh, she got her hand up first, so I'm going to give this to Darlene, and then when you're done with it, bring it back and give it to somebody else. Now, I got a lot of these, but I'm not going to. No, this is a and CD. A this is something you that listen an to. And uh, it, this is something you listen to. But um, anyway, this, um, yeah, it's an eight track tape. This is a person that attends online, okay? She's in England. And she sent me a whole bunch of these I'm going to tell you what, the reason why I said in your car And I didn't say in your house Is because this is our material When you're the type that wants to kill the guy in front of you Or that is <laughs> honking at you This will keep you from it right here I'm telling you, this is It's called sola scriptura She did this And she, uh, uh, all she does is read scripture She mm-hmm. sings a song towards the end of it And her son reads the scripture as well And they compose the music for it You are not going to believe this you're going to absolutely love this. So um, I'll have it for you later. And Charles, then when uh, I, I, I don't worry, I'll get you all one, too. I got several I, them at the house, but I only brought one in today. I wasn't thinking. And uh, then she sent a separate CD that she did before. And um, uh, that one, she gave me a few of them also. I have not listened to that yet, mm. but I can tell you that this this is marvelous. I gave it to Hidako to listen to after me and she loves it. And it, <laughs> she's from England, so she's got that beautiful British accent. And um, uh, her son, he's got a little bit of a different accent, which I picked up on surprisingly. And I said, his accent's a little different than yours, and he grew up in a different area than she did, and so you can just tell a little bit. But it is—you're going to love it. And when you're done, or if you uh, whatever, then uh, mm-hmm. give it back to me, and I'll pass it on to somebody else. And like, say, I have a few more of them, and uh, I, I want to hand those out. But you're absolutely going to love it. So anyway, Sorry, that's. A, can I tell
1: you when mom was really, you know? Really She's gonna make it from day to day. I would go to YouTube and there's scripture. It's healing, healing scriptures. and right.
0: Music. Nice. And well, that's kind of what this is.
1: I would play it all
0: night long. By her oh, that's isn't that wonderful? And I'm telling you, this is it, try it in your car, and you're absolutely gonna love it. So, uh, wonderful stuff there. And um, we're now gonna get into Romans chapter three, verse seven. And uh, like I said, I apologize, we got to start just a little bit late today. I pushed the wrong button on the system and uh, uh, come to find out uh, it was my fault. So we're about three or four minutes late, but that's okay. Romans 3.7, Jim is not here tonight, and um, uh, that's fine. He, uh, he's he got something else to do, and so I'm just going to go ahead and read. But uh, I'm going to read from 3.1 through 3.6, because that's all still one whole paragraph, and we'll have context for what we're talking about. Uh Romans chapter three verse one says, "What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Meaning the Jews. And this is what we've been talking about even before class. Um, what if they don't believe? Will um, their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The answer is certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar." as it is written, that you, meaning the Lord, may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. And I want to explain that for those of you that may not remember what he's saying. He's saying, if our unrighteousness, what we do in unrighteousness shows the righteousness of God, then, uh, um, let me read that again Then what shall we say Is God unjust who inflicts wrath It's like saying Well I do something bad And it demonstrates how good God is Then how can he judge me for it That's He's, he's saying uh, I speak as a man That's a, a man's illogical argument Concerning something like that His answer is certainly not For then how will God judge the world He's holy He's just He's righteous He is sovereign over all things He has a right to judge And I would dare say that he has an obligation to judge because he cannot, as we saw last week, he cannot violate his own moral attributes. It's impossible because there's no change in God. And therefore, he must judge. And so the argument is invalid on the surface, but Paul is bringing this up in the argument as a man. And so he says in verse 7, our first verse of the day, for if the truth of God, God's truth that we talked about, all those attributes, mercy, grace, holiness, love, all that, if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Now, he's using, once again, a man's argument, because God's truth does not increase except from our perspective, okay? That's what he's saying. From our perspective, because I do something wrong, God's truthfulness has actually increased. Once again, from our perspective, God does not change. He is truth. If he is truth, then it can increase or decrease in any way, shape, or form but from a human argument. So we'll go from there. This is a third line of reasoning based on man's unclear thinking, which Paul is giving, okay? This is what we do. We think unclearly because we don't look at things as God does. We don't look at things as, you know, uh, uh, another person that we're arguing with does. And have you ever had an argument with somebody and you say, you know, you're arguing your point to death and finally you realize that you've misunderstood them from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And now you've got water on your face, okay? Because you're not in their head. Well, none of us are in God's head, and if we were, we would understand that God is perfectly everything. And so we're looking at things from our illogical perspective, and we're saying, well, God's truth is increased or whatever. And so once again, if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, he's glorified through my lie, why am I still also judged as a sinner? So we'll go on. Paul is making his case by citing arguments people either had or could give to justify both their sin and why God should overlook it. Perfect example is the church today. Sin in the church, and it is completely, wow. I, I took it out of the prophecy update because uh, something else uh, came up today that you know I, I had to adjust it, but I had something lined up. A uh, pastor was caught doing something, and he stood up there, and he used exactly this argument, exactly this argument to justify why he should not step down from the pulpit. Okay, maybe I'll include in another prophecy update. So I, I probably won't uh, uh, bring it up today. What he did, but uh, I, I can tell you, perverse, perverse thinking that he is using to justify him not st- stepping down as a pastor. Now I have no problem if a pastor does something wrong and he goes on, you know, he's taken out for a year or so or whatever, and then he comes back. But uh, there, there is a point where a person should not be preaching anymore. And using this type of an argument for his sin. Is completely inappropriate, and that is what Paul is saying right here. So, um, uh, I'll read that again. If he were to do so, he would. Oh, I'm sorry. In verse three seven, citing people's arguments either had or could give, which this guy did, to justify both their sin, which he did, and why God should overlook it. And I will tell you this, because it it wouldn't give away the article. But he said, um, "I'm already forgiven." He says, and sure, we're all forgiven already in Christ. Once we come to Christ, we are forgiven. It is done. Our sins are under the blood. But he's saying, I'm already forgiven. And then he went back and he used this argument. Well, this presupposes this. It doesn't. He's looking at it from a man's perspective. And this guy is supposedly a pastor in charge of this church telling these people this thing. It's perverse, okay? So um, if the truth, this is Paul, if the truth of God has increased through my life, okay? God, throughout his word, as well as through the moral compass he has placed within man, lets us know that sin will be punished. That's all there is to it. That We know that. That's why when somebody does something wrong, even if they claim they don't know that God is there or they don't believe that he's there, what do they do? Do they just walk out in the middle of the street and commit the sin? No, they do it in the dark or they, they steal when mom's not looking or whatever. You know, now some people are just twisted or they're on drugs and they go out and do something stupid in the streets. I'm talking about normal criminals will always hide what they're doing because they know that it's wrong and if they get caught that there is a punishment for it and they even try to hide from God, okay? So, um, in punishing sin, God is shown to be the holy being that he is. So, this is the argument that Paul is making, you know, I've sinned and I'm being punished and therefore God is shown to be holy. Why does he have a right to punish me if he is more holy through my sin? That's the argument that's going on here. His punishment, meaning God's, of our sin because of his holiness demonstrates that he is truthful in his judgments. He says he will punish them and then he follows through with it. This validates the truth of God to us and thus brings him glory. Everybody understand that? God is glorified through the fact... God is glorified through our sin one way or another. If he shows mercy on us, he's glorified through that because it's something that he is not obligated to do, all right? If he's gracious to us, and he, uh, once again, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. uh, Grace is not getting what you don't deserve, okay? When he gives these things to us, he's glorified through it. And if I sin and I'm punished through it, which people are going to be cast into hell, God will be glorified through that act because he will demonstrate to them that he is holy and he cannot tolerate their sin, The difference between them and me is nothing. I'm in exactly the same boat that they are, with one exception, Christ. Christ. And I shouldn't have said it, nothing, because it makes it sound like that's not what I intended, though. There's no difference between me and that person. What makes the difference is Christ, which covers my my sin. And that is it. And as we saw last week, everything about Christ is necessary in order for us to be reconciled to God. And now you think about it, i said this in a sermon uh two weeks ago i think is that god didn't have to create anything he did this out of an act of love he is fully sufficient in himself father son and holy spirit to be complete harmony with himself so even the act of creation is a demonstration of who he is his loving nature his merciful nature why merciful because he knew before he created us that we would fall so his mercy is demonstrated in an act of creation itself Everything about God is revealed in what God does, okay? This is what we see, and this is what we can know, even apart from the Bible. Yes, sir?
1: Until I read about David
0: and Uriah the Hittite, you bet. I thought sin was against another individual, but it said against the... The alone. Only, That's I right. Sin. Now, you can sin against a person, yeah. but what he was saying is that our sin, the sin that is imputed to us, is against God alone. Amen. That that You're exactly right about that. And when you understand that, that when your sin... Uh, condemns you, it's because he is infant in his nature. And it it cannot be just passed over. Something must happen in order to take away that sin. And David understood that. And we're going to see Paul quoting David later in Romans on exactly that issue. So this is what we have to understand about God is his unchanging nature, his unchanging attributes, and that they must be satisfied. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're wearing a jacket in here and it's hot, it's the same temperature as always. I got it on 70. I should not have worn this, and I'm already hot, but if you are, just take off your jacket. I can't, because I got nothing else on under here, so (laughs) sorry about that. But um, um, I see lots of jackets in here, and uh, it's 70, and if you do get too hot and you don't have a jacket, let me know and I'll turn it down. But it's hard this time of year, because the temperatures are going down. Do I turn on the heater or the cooler or whatever? Because by the time we're done, they say it's gonna be in the 40s tonight. So anyway, we'll go on. Um, uh, as this is true, what what I just read, this validates the truth of God to us that brings him glory, okay? As this is true, and God has proven truthful and glorified through my lying, then how can he punish me? This is Paul's argument. God is glorified through my lying. I go out and I tell a lie, or I go out and do something deceitful or whatever, and God is glorified through that act. How can he punish me? I have only increased his glory. And I guarantee you there's going to be many people standing at the great white throne thinking, I have glorified God through the life I lived. I blew myself up as a martyr. I did this and I did that. And they're going to get a giant surprise when they realize that the God that they are facing is infinitely holy in all ways and that he cannot bypass their sin and they weren't covered by the blood. But this is the argument that people have in their heads now. This is the argument that people have over a loved one that's in the grave. You know, they're standing at the coffin after they died. They know that he's not a Christian, but... He's going to be okay before God because of one of these arguments that we're looking at right here. This is the third in a series of arguments that Paul is making, okay? Um, I have only increased his glory. See the great thing I have done. This is the faulty reasoning of the one attempting to justify his perverse actions. We're trying to justify our own sin in God's presence, and that's something we cannot do. We can justify it in the presence of others. They do it all the time in the liberal left in America today. The news media... They, they justify, just today, I see a, a lady in a church in Colorado. I was looking at Judge a, a few minutes ago. She's in a church in Colorado. She's supposed to be deported, or she thinks she's going to be deported. She's got four children. She's here illegally, and so she went into a church, and the church is harboring her. Okay? And the church thinks that they are doing a good thing. This is exactly the argument that Paul is making. We are doing something to glorify God through protecting a criminal in this manner. It's exactly the opposite. They have no idea of the holiness of God that they're dealing with when they do something like this. But their illogical argument is that God is glorified through our actions. And that is not the case. Okay. Um, We'll go on. Um, There are several points which have to be considered in this. The first is that the lying is actually intended to do the opposite of what is claimed here. Okay, when a person lies, he's intending the opposite. He's not intending on glorifying God through his lie, is he? He's intending on doing something deceitful to another human being, created in the image of God. He's intending on stealing from a person, whatever. The intent of his lie, no matter what effect it has on others' perception of God in this person's eyes, that's not the intent of what they're doing, okay? Okay. uh, where was that? Um, it, it, he's, the, it, lying is actually intended to do the opposite of what is claimed here. Lying in and of itself is intended to protect and elevate self, not God. When I lie, I'm just protecting Charlie Garrett. I'm trying to elevate myself above somebody else. Oh, yeah, you know what about the pastor that uh, claimed he was a Navy SEAL, right? Who was benefiting from that lie? He was. That's right. So the intent of that lie had nothing to do with God. He didn't need to tell anybody in his congregation that who was a Navy SEAL in order to do anything for God. God wasn't glorified through that, right? He could have just said, you know, I came from, you know, high school and I went to college for two years, and a guy said that I knew the Bible well enough to ordain me, and that was it. Instead, he's exalting himself. So the lie itself is not glorifying of God, and the intent is to do exactly the opposite. He's trying to glorify himself, and by doing that, he's actually not... Glorifying God, he's diminishing God, right? Okay, so um, when one lies, it is motivated by and promotes self serving interests, not another's glory. And that's anytime you lie. I don't care what the lie is, there is a reason why you're doing it, which is not intended for the glory of another there's always something that needs to be concealed now we have in america we have white lies and we have and we can take things to extremes and the bible does have lies in it that um david remember when david uh, uh was escaping from saul and he had uh, Michal, his wife was that her name anyway he had her put a teraphim in the bed uh that looked like a person and uh you know put hair on it and made it look like he was in bed and he said now Uh, tell him that I'm asleep and he escaped out the window. And we see lies like that throughout the Bible, okay? And we will try to make justifications for that. And the Bible doesn't always comment on whether it's right or not. But we know that lying is wrong because it's one of the commandments. Thou shalt not lie, right? But in the Bible, there are things that we perceive of as maybe gray. To God, it's not. It's either black and white, black or white, and that is it. There is no shade of gray in what we do, he knows the the ultimate end for everything. We don't. And so sometimes we're caught in a, a box that we really have to make decisions which are difficult. But, yes?
1: Charlie, you know, one time I got really convicted of, because I would I would pray for them. Right. And I realized I wasn't doing it
0: That's why when I say that I immediately write then in my head pray And then after that at the end of the day I lump everybody Into one large prayer and I say Lord All those people that I pray for today You know them, I don't remember them Because there were 75 of them And I didn't have a pen with me when I wrote them down But that's right, when you say you're How many times do you see on Facebook Somebody say boy do I need prayers today Blah blah, And you say 400 people say praying, 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 right, praying. Right. And I, two of them might be actually praying for them So, you know, that it's not true. It's something that is harmful. It's not. So when you say I'm going to pray for somebody, I immediately just stop and in my head, because I don't need to say anything out loud for the Lord to hear me. He knows every thought that's in my head. If
1: you're speaking to them, just pray now.
0: That's right. If you can, if you are with somebody and you're speaking to them, you just stop and pray with them. That's right. And, you know, sometimes Sergio will do that. We'll be talking and we'll just stop and pray. You know, it's just something that we need to get out of us right now. And uh, that's always the best option If you can How
1: do you deal with this When it's
0: asking Like I want a divorce Oh yeah well You say I'm sorry I can't pray against God's will And that's all you need to say God will not Now you know if, If the husband has committed sexual immorality The Bible allows you to get divorced It's the one exception to that You may get divorced If somebody has done that And they may say, I want to pray because I want my marriage to be saved and I need help praying about this issue. That's fine. But you can't pray for something that is against God's will. And you see people do it all the time. That is something very common. All you do is say, I I can't pray about that. That is not in accord with Scripture. And if you know it's not and you tell them I'll pray for it, that's not a good place to be in. So, exactly. Can we help you, ma'am? Okay, here we go. Um, So we have... um, uh, it, when one lies it is motivated by and promotes self-serving interest, not another's glory. Secondly if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory which is what Paul says the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory. If that's true because he has promised to judge sin then if he doesn't judge sin the result would be that the truth of God isn't increased through my lie at all. Right? Do you see that? Let me read it again. If the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, that's Paul's argument right there, because God, he, has promised to judge sin, then if he, God, doesn't judge my sin, the result would be that the truth of God is not increased through my lie at all. In other words, if I say a lie, and I say that the the, the glory of God is increased through my sin, but God must judge my sin because he's a truthful God, then he isn't glorified through my sin at all he must judge my sin and so it people are looking at it the exact opposite of how it should be okay the question why am I also still judged as a sinner Paul writes that down let me read the whole verse again so you know where we're at for the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory why am I also judged as a sinner okay the question, why am I also judged as a sinner, is invalidated by the faulty premise of the question in the first place. And as I said, that pastor that justified his sin a couple of weeks ago by going into the pulpit last week and saying, I'm, I'm not stepping down because I'm already forgiven. And plus, and he went back to the week. Be- I'll tell you what he said. I don't want to give it away, though, because it's something that if I, I, I don't give you the whole article, it's not going to make complete sense to you, and it's also going to kind of. But what he said was, a week ago, I was in the pulpit and everything was fine, right? You didn't know anything and I hadn't sinned. And therefore, now I'm caught in sin and I'm already forgiven. And so he says that presupposes that last week I shouldn't have been in the pulpit. He's using the exact argument that Paul is using, saying, I'm okay because last week I was okay and this week I'm caught in sin, but I'm the same person as I was last week. Okay? Anyway, so... The fact is that he had actually been doing this thing for three months, which invalidates the uh, last week thing. But even then, he is using the wrong argument. Mm-hmm. He's looking at it from his perspective, not from God's. So it it, it it it's a sad place to be because this guy must stand before the Lord. If he is saved, and we'll assume that he is. If he is saved, he has to stand before the Lord. And guess what? James three one says, "Brethren, Count not men." No. Brethren, not many of you should purpose to be teachers knowing that you shall receive the stricter judgment. Right? This guy is going to be judged much more heavily. And after this guy justified himself in the pulpit, the whole congregation, minus a few, stood up and applauded and said, Oh, how great it is that he's making this brave stand. So now he has led all of those people astray with his perverse sin. So
1: is it safe to say that he was
0: unrepentant? Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. As he said, I'm already forgiven, and that's true. I'm already forgiven. And uh, uh, Tom, is Tom here?
1: Oh, there you are. He hasn't asked You
0: don't have to. Tom asked that one time. He said, do I have to ask for forgiveness when I sin? Well, if my sins, what does it say in Romans? It says not counting men's sins against them. God is not counting my sins against me. I am in Christ. I don't have to ask for forgiveness for those sins. I am already forgiven. And this is an error that people make. People make the error and say, they go back to Jesus speaking to Israel under the law and they say, see, you have to ask for forgiveness. That's not correct. We are forgiven in Christ. That was before Christ was crucified and speaking to anybody that is not in Christ. But when you are in Christ, you are forgiven. You don't need to ask forgiveness for your sin. But you should be repentant of your sin. And I still feel an obligation in my heart, talking about Charlie Garrett, that I want to say, Lord, every night when I've done something wrong, I am sorry. And I know that I'm forgiven, but I would ask you to forgive me again anyway. And I do that nightly because it's presumptuous to think that I'm forgiven and that everything is okay. How much worse when you do it from the pulpit? You in a second. Go ahead. Talk loud, though, so, so they can hear you So why
1: so why would God judge us When we're saved by grace And where our sins are forgiven As far as the east is from the west And we're, in, we're already saved So God doesn't sit and look at every sin that's that's
0: right. Right. We're, we're not judged for condemnation That's what the Bible says There's now no condemnation For those who are in Christ like Jesus It's something like When we appear in front of the Lord It's a judgment of rewards and losses okay. It's not a judgment for condemnation or salvation okay. Everything that we do Will be rewards and losses and this is a great example that I give people so you understand this. okay everybody knows now who Paula White is. She's the lady that's there she's the, the pastor of this church up in Tampa or whatever and she's the, the, got the right ear of our president right And she's got him believing in the prosperity gospel I'm sure because that's all she ever preaches. But here's my question she is disobedient to the Lord by being a pastor and preaching with men in the congregation, right? That is disobedience. The Bible forbids that. Now, this is a perfect example of what Paul is speaking about right here, okay? She leads, this year, 30,000 people to Christ. I'm just giving an example, right? Do you think that the Lord is going to give her one reward for that? You were disobedient and violated my word, but good came out of it? Do you think that the Lord is going to reward her for anything she has done as a pastor? If he does, then it's not the Lord that is reflected in the Bible. Because she is disobedient, and that's the argument she's using. Good is coming out of my sin, and therefore God is glorified. And so I should be exempt from that. No, she's supposedly a teacher, and she's going to be more judged, not less. And I can't see the Lord saying, you're going to get blessings in abundance and many rewards for disobeying my word, even though good came out of it. It's not going to happen. That is not the Lord of the Bible. I don't care what anybody says about that issue. The Bible forbids it, and therefore he will not give you rewards for it. Any issue, that's just a perfect example of it, because she's preaching to people all the time with men in her congregation. She went through that divorce, right? How does that fit in? I could go on all day with that kind of thing. But this is her argument. Go ahead. reason we
1: repent is for fellowship with the
0: lord that's right repenting means changing one's mind metanoia people think repenting means something like you know i've got to go beat myself with uh something on my back until i bleed or something that's not what it is it's a change of mind if my mind is directed towards that sin right if my mind is directed towards it then it's not in fellowship with the lord the repentance is on my part and it is towards the lord that's what the repentance is. Okay, and it grieves
1: the Holy Spirit too. You know? It
0: grieves the Holy Spirit. That's right, because God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
1: Process, some people are really lax in that, because in the eyes of God, my righteousness is Christ's righteousness. I'm that's right. As I'll ever be. However, in my progression as I walk with Christ, it's a daily things I'm being renewed in my mind. That's right. But this
0: word does. And remember that what it says about I've said this many times, and it's exactly what you're saying right there is that. Uh, Receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit Is It's passive It's passive It's not active Okay, It is passive In the Greek, be filled with the Holy Spirit is passive It's not something that you can go and actively do And say, Holy Spirit, fill me These charismatic churches do not understand That what they're doing is just making themselves look stupid Because you are not actively filled with the Holy Spirit You are passively filled with the Holy Spirit By what you just said and you also, by living for the Lord, by you are opening yourself up to be filled. You're not actively being filled by the Holy Spirit. He passively fills you. Think of a cup. Does a cup fill itself? If I take and pour something into that cup, how does it happen? It's because the cup is open and it is receiving the wine. The cup is passively receiving what I am actively pouring into it. Right? If you're not a cup ready to be filled, then the Holy Spirit will not fill you. In the Greek, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a passive action. Here's, I'll give you the example. Everybody understands it when I say it, and it's a good time to remember. I will never get more married to wherever she is, there she is, he to my wife, than I was on the day that I was married, right? I'm not going to get more married. I will never get more of the Holy Spirit ever, as long as I live from the moment that I was sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have all the Spirit I will ever, ever get, but he can get more of me. She can get more of me in this marriage as I yield to her. Passively, I am yielding and I get more of her. She gets more of me by yielding to me. Do you see see that? If not, as I said to Burke, Hediko and I don't talk a lot. We're just quiet in the house, right? She hears me talk a lot, but she doesn't talk a lot, okay? But that doesn't mean that we're not yielding to each other. Guess who cooks all the meals, right? That's yielding to me. Guess who does all the dishes? That's yielding to her, (laughs) That is what receiving the Holy Spirit is, and that is what is being in line with the Lord. It's not going out and doing something and saying, well, the Lord is going to fill me because of this. It's completely backwards. Charismatic churches are wrong because they misunderstand what is going on with God. Go ahead. I always think of it as stirring up the Holy Spirit when you're reading His Word. That's right. Or doing something where you're you're building it. Like That's right. So what are, what are some of the things? Because she brought one up. You're reading the Word. Reading the Word. You're, praying. You're praying. Um, Fellowship. Fellowshipping <laughs> with others That's right Because what we're doing right now We're in Bible study or even Okay. even serving uh, God's purpose That's right Praising yep. Thanksgiving yep. All of these things Will so, allow you To be filled with the Holy Spirit You already got Him It is you Who is passively being filled With who you already have In His fullness You're not getting more of the Spirit Sorry guys Go ahead I'm talking to the charismatics Go ahead yeah.
1: Worshipping Very few people or churches Talk about
0: Right. But the problem with worship is that they use that as the means of getting the Holy Spirit. And that's not it. When you go to a church and you worship, what does that mean? Because if you're just listening to great music and you're doing this kind of thing, you're not getting the Holy Spirit through that. Worship is directed to God. It's not directed to you. And unfortunately, churches have it completely backwards. They listen to this music and they say, oh, I'm so filled with the Spirit because they like the music that they're listening to. Nobody goes into a church that likes modern music Nobody goes into a church with a warbler organ and says, I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. They say, oh, that's the worst music in the world. (laughs) It's not about the music. It's about worshiping God. That That is how you receive the Spirit. The music people have completely turned around, and they have substituted God with worship. I mean worship music. You understand? We are worshiping God. We're not worshiping the music. So that is the important thing. Whatever music you listen to, if it makes you feel good, that's wonderful, but that's not what is... I can listen to Led Zeppelin and love the music, right? Led Zeppelin isn't glorifying of God, but I grew up with it. I like the music, right? It has nothing to do with it. People are taking what they like and they're inserting it into their theology, and we can't do that. How do you people? God. You devote yourself to Him. You love Him. You praise Him. When you hear a hymn, that is glorifying of God and you have tears streaming down your face because he is glorified through the words and you are comprehending those words, that's glorifying of him, right? Because you are allowing yourself to worship him through that music, all right? That's why when you see the psalms, most of the psalms were written for that purpose, was to glorify God through those words and a comprehension of it here, not something going on here, right? This, this, oh, you know, this... That's not What's how it works. What's
1: the difference in praise
0: and worship? Well, they're they're wow. united, but um, praise is you know it, it it's saying to God you are great, you are glorious, you are wonderful, you are marvelous. Mm-hmm. Worship can involve more than that. Thanksgiving it, it can uh, involve you know what somebody uh, the the guy that did the mission he was an uh, elder gentleman and he did the uh, mission part of the uh, college that I was at and he the, the missions classes and. He, I, I can't remember if he heard this or if he heard this from somebody else, but he said the greatest worship that I have ever heard, and he may have been quoting somebody else, but it may have been him, he says, was a man in prison in China. He had been beaten, had been utterly rejected by the society, and he was there in the prison cell praising God, crying out to him in the prison, just the way Paul and Silas did in Acts chapter 16, right? He said that was the sweetest Music in my ears that I've ever heard This person was worshipping God In his great distress Just read the Psalms, if you want to know how to worship God Read the Psalms and take them to heart Because David is writing Out of the distress of his soul Out of the distress of his sin Out of the the joy of seeing the sunrise Or whatever He is in everything he is doing He is including the Lord in what he is doing And that is praise and worship Okay, yes Psalms and hymns and spiritual that's psalms. right. Psalms, hymns, and what spiritual songs. I psalms. say this,
1: the hymns are about him, and that's that's what
0: he. That's was. right. So, <laughs> what he's saying is, and I, I've got the commentary on that, but I'm not going to pull it up right now. But psalms are God's word that we are repeating to Him. They're included in the Bible. They are a psalm, and they are something that He is acknowledged as His in His Word. So we speak to others in psalms. We speak to psalms in hymns. As he said, a hymn would be um, something like uh, music about God, which includes God, and it may even include verses from the Word. In other words, it's it's something that is uh, uh, in accord with the Word but not in the Word itself. It may include that. And then spiritual songs would be things that uh, include um, uh, concepts of the greatness of the Lord. And that can even be modern, you know, Joy FM music that I listen to when I'm driving back and forth to hear. That would be a spiritual song. It's not really a hymn because it doesn't include Scripture and it's not a song because it's not from Scripture so it's just a spiritual song. You know, Third Day, that's a modern band and they, they play all this music that is spiritual, it's directed to the Lord, but it's not really always quoting Scripture. So there you go. Okay, let's go on so we can uh, finish a verse today. Um, <laughs> oh, and we will. We're almost done with this one. Well, does
1: um, done that, the last Psalm say... So Greatest of
0: the Lord and greatly to be praised Great, it does I, I quoted of, that in yeah. the did I quote that this week or last week well, anyway, yeah anyway. greatest is the Lord and greatly to... it was last week's sermon I quoted that's all okay. yeah, and when you're when you're as a matter of fact, i've got it right back there. I should go read you the sermon because you weren't in church Sunday he, he reads it afterward um, anyway, so uh, that that's our first two points on this verse, and then finally. This is. Uh, let me redo the first two arguments again, so you can see. Uh, first, um, um, lying in and of itself is intended to protect and, uh, or yeah, protect and elevate self, not God. Secondly, if the truth of God is increased through my lie to His glory, because He has promised to judge sin, then if He doesn't judge my sin, the result would be that God isn't increased, um, the glory of God isn't increased through my lie at all. And thirdly, all right, God does not need. He doesn't need our help. He does not need to be glorified. He is already glorious in his infinite being. So he doesn't need our help through our sin. He is glorious in and of himself. The glory which is reasoned by the one proposing the argument is the glory of God in the eyes of his creation, not God's innate glory. Likewise, the truth of God is not increased in God. God is truth. Rather, the increase is found in our realization of it. As I said, all three of these arguments are from our perspective. And as long as we have us in the equation, it's a bad equation. All we need to do is drop, we've got God plus us, just drop us off, and that's the right equation. God, he gets the glory if we are included in that somehow, other than just praising him, you know, if we're trying to justify something wrong... It, it, it we, the equation is wrong. Okay, it's so arrogant. it is arrogant. But you see, people don't understand that. They go around the world, and and until you come to Christ, we think, oh, I'm 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 doing something good. It, but it is it's arrogance in us thinking that we are somehow glorifying God. We're helping God along. Whatever our thoughts are, they're not directed because we no longer think critically in this world. People do not think critically, and until you learn to think from a completely different perspective, none of this makes any sense. But once you see that God doesn't need our help, then you say, boy, was I presumptuous in that. I was really arrogant in what I, and just go to Facebook and read any post, of, you know, somebody says something and they and somebody else will come back and say, well, you, you, they get in these little tit-for-tat arguments and they, they think that I'm doing something great here when they, it's just the opposite. They're not doing anything except tearing down the perception of maybe other Christians or their own self in front of God. It happens all the time. It's so common to see. So we'll go on. Um, He is glorious in and of himself. The glory which is reasoned by the one proposing the argument is the glory of God, um, uh, is the glory of God in the eyes of his creation, not God's innate glory. Okay. Likewise, the truth of God is not increased in God. God is truth. I read that. Um, Rather the increase is found in our realization of it. Okay. Again, God's character isn't dependent on man. And he isn't dependent on what we think about him. As I said, God didn't have to create at all. There's nothing that God is dependent on for us. He's not up there. People think that he's up there wringing his hands when uh, an airplane flies into the side of a building and kills 3,000 people. God's out of control. And everybody thinks, oh, God can't figure this out. It's out of his control. He is completely in control. He created everything suns that are so big that the, the earth would hit it and there would be nothing left of it. Nobody would ever know the earth was there. He's got power that is unlimited and we think that he's out of control when something happens on the planet. That is not the case. God, his character is not dependent on man and he isn't dependent on what we think about him. Our perceptions of him don't change his glory or his truth at all. But that is the standard argument of every single person, even atheists. They say, well, if God exists, and they'll go through these same arguments because they don't understand the nature of God.
1: The most he, righteous person that, that I, I saw, and God gave him a tongue last year, and that was Job. That's right. You know, he, where were you when I did this? And took three mm-hmm. chapters and took him through there to the woodshed. That's exactly he right. He said, you
0: better go get right with your bro- with Job. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because if anybody had a at- rationale to bring a A case before God It was Job It says it right at the beginning He was righteous completely And that's right If anybody had a case It would have been Job And yet Job What did he say After the Lord spoke to him Out of the whirlwind Mm. I repent in dust and ashes Mm. Mm. I've I've spoken I will not speak again That's exactly mm. right He could not find himself justified Before the Lord In any way or shape or form wasn't possible. So, the answer to why am I still judged as a sinner? This is Paul's argument from a human perspective. The answer is found in the fact that I am a sinner, and I am deserving of punishment based on my sin. To attempt to justify sin by using faulty reasoning can only add to my judgment, not somehow fool God into throwing up his hands and overlooking my misdeeds. Back to Paula White. She led 30,000 people to the Lord last year. Not one reward because she was disobedient in the process. And if you are disobedient in the process, you cannot be rewarded for that. If you're rewarded for that, it's not the God of the Bible. I can assure you of that. That's Satan speaking in your ear and saying, look at all the good you're doing. Look at all the good you're doing when you're not adhering to what this says right here. I'm sorry. If you are not adhering to what God has revealed, then you will get no reward for it. And I I think that all the time when I'm doing something and I, I I I I do a Charlie and I sit there and I say Lord I don't know how you could even I could, don't know how you could even save me I don't know how you could even look at me right now and I think all those rewards that I could have gotten I've thrown away through this. That,
1: help God build His kingdom here on the
0: earth. Well, that's what we're here to do. That's what we we are the hands and the feet of the Lord building His kingdom. He's not doing it by. Once again, I, I know that people disagree with me, disagree all you want. It's not going to change my mind about this issue. God does not reveal himself through dreams and visions anymore. He doesn't do it. I do not believe that. If you do, keep it to yourself. don't bring it up in this class because I do not believe it. It's a, let me read you what it says here. Um, I'm going to take you, and people all the time want to claim they've had a vision, and they've, they may have had a vision, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't what I it, anyway. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the father, fathers by the prophets. So he did it in various ways. And in Job, he gives three ways. By a vision in the night, by a word in the ear, and one other thing. He, he, he gives a couple of ways. He says, has in these last days spoken, past tense, to us by his Son, who is appointed heir of all things, through whom he has made the world. The Bible says, Amen. This word is written. I do not believe one story. And people send them to me every day, Even day. I'm sure some of them listen to the Bible studies, and they still send me these things afterward. They say, see, Muslims are having dreams about Jesus, and they're coming to Christ in droves. I don't believe one of those stories. I do not believe one of those stories. If somebody did not come and tell them about Jesus Christ, they're not going to get the word. Because this is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his Son, who is revealed in this word. So if you believe in dreams and visions and all that, you've got the wrong guy here. Keep it to yourself, okay? Talk about it when I'm gone because I don't believe it. And all I will tell you is I don't believe you, and I don't want to put you in that position. So don't email me with that kind of thing. I just do not believe that God works that way. I've read thousands of these emails, and I've never seen one shred of proof. I have seen a million times people come to the Lord in abundance because a preacher went out into a field and spoke like John Wesley did 30,000 miners or somebody went over to Saudi Arabia and gave his life in order to tell somebody about Jesus. God doesn't do an end around again uh, against the people that he has commissioned to do his work. He uses human hands and human feet to take this word to the people of the world. That's why we have missionaries that go overseas and they spend their life ministering to other people is because they believe that and if they believe, if those missionaries believe that God is speaking to them through dreams and visions, why are they over there? Why would they even be over there? Okay? I don't believe it. So anyway, I I know that upsets people, but if you think it through logically and rationally, and don't get me wrong, if God has revealed something to you in a dream, that's between you and him. That's not him revealing his word to you, how to be saved or any of those other things. That's fine. If somebody wants to believe that God spoke to them, that is fine. I know somebody that God spoke to him on a clarifier up at, which is a wastewater tank up at uh, the city of Sarasota one time. Well, he's delusional. But anyway, I'm not saying that everybody that has had a dream about God or that has had a vision about God is delusional. I'm not trying to say that. But that is between him and the Lord, and it is not something that is to be added to Scripture. The word of the Lord is set. His mode of saving people is set the people he has chosen are out to, to go out and do their work okay yes
1: okay next month when you cover Romans 10 yeah that <laughs> <it> be <says, laughs> how, how shall they believe unless that's they have right a preacher?
0: and that's right and, and
1: you know they, he's got to be sent
0: you have let's read that right now because that's a perfect verse for that because Paul never says well how are they going to believe unless they have a dream he doesn't say how are they going to believe unless Um, the Holy Spirit zaps them in church and has them roll around on their... He doesn't say that. He says, um, um, verse 14. First, it's the whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Verse 13, right? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the way that you are saved, okay? And then immediately after that, he tells you the process that gets you to that point. How then shall they call on him? In whom they have not believed. They can't do it. If you haven't believed in Jesus, you can't call on him then he goes back another step and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard right you can't do it you can't you you, you can't believe if you have uh, you can't be saved unless you believed. you can't believe unless you've heard and then he goes back one more step and how shall they hear without a preacher right and how shall they preach unless they are sent and then what does he do as it is written it is the word The word has to be given. Somebody has to be sent with that word. That person then has to open his mouth. From there, the person believes. And from the person believing, then they are saved, not through dreams and visions. That is absolutely right. There is a process that the Lord has laid out for us. I can't wait. We'll be there next, maybe before next month, maybe at the end of this month. So very soon we'll be in Romans 10. But um, anyway... I've already read that. I'm going to read the last sentence one more time. To attempt to justify my sin by using faulty reasoning can only add to my judgment, not somehow fool God into throwing up his hands and saying, okay, I'm going to overlook your deeds. Here's a life application for you. There is no excuse for sin. None. Okay? And all sin will be dealt with through punishment. All right? As you go about your day, don't try to rationalize away your wrongdoings. Once you have accepted that sin necessitates a penalty, then take the time to give God for praise for what he has done for you in Jesus. And that takes us back to the first sentence, because I said, all sin will be dealt with through punishment. My sin has already been dealt with through punishment and was in somebody else. Okay? So you asked the question earlier, no, we're not going to be punished or condemned for our sin, because it has already happened in Christ. But it happened in Christ. And I should be infinitely remorseful for the sin that I continue to commit in my life day after day the words that come out of my mouth the things I do with my neighbor's wife or whatever because it is it is an affront uh, an affront against what Christ did on the cross of Calvary our sin was laid bare at Calvary and so that's why we should do that and so um, let me finish up the life application the cross of Calvary was a high price for the sins we so easily dismiss Okay. Now, my sin was judged in Christ. Anybody else making these faulty arguments who is not in Christ, their sins will be punished in them, and it will be forever, and it will be in the lake of fire. People who sin greatly will receive more stripes. People who receive uh, sin less will receive less stripes. But all will be punished infinitely, separated from the God that they rejected in their life. That is the end of all men. So. That's what the Bible teaches. I can't go beyond that. You know, people are always asking me, "What is there an out for somebody that blah, blah, blah? The Bible doesn't give an out. The Bible does not give an out. It is either Christ or it is nothing. You know, Martin Luther kind of waffled and he said something like, we don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. And that could be true because people are always saying, what about this person, that blah, 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 blah. That's not my concern. That is not my concern at all. My concern is that there are people that need to hear about Jesus, and I need to tell them about Jesus, or all of us do. And then my concern is that those people that know about Jesus are properly instructed in this, as best as I can do. I'm not infallible by any way, shape, or form. And today I was thinking of something, and I said, oh, you know, it wasn't yesterday. Anyway, uh, I, I realized that something that I had typed in a sermon coming in a couple weeks... I need to reevaluate and I need to retype because I haven't done... That's why I do these sermons way in advance so I can think things through. And I realized something that I was so thankful because, you know, we all have a lot of area to grow in this word, and we will for the rest of our lives. Anybody that thinks they've got this one, you know, mastered is, is insane. This is a great word here. Anyway, we'll go on to three eight, which says, um, And why not say... Let us do evil, that good may come, as are slanderously as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. I'm going to read that again. Think it through when he says it. And why not say this is another argument he's already given a couple. He's giving another one. And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come. Remember, is if God is uh, the glory of God is increased through my lie. He's using the same argument. But he's saying, well, why don't we do evil? Okay, because good will come out of it. If I do evil, and then God is glorified because he's forgiven me in my sin, this would be more an argument for the saved person. I'm a saved person, and I've already, like that guy I was talking about, that, that pastor that did that thing, and he says, I'm already forgiven, and God is glorified through what I did, all right? And the whole congregation stood up and applauded, right? His condemnation is just, Paul says, Let's go on. It says here, um, And why not say is Paul's conclusion to the previous concepts which he has laid before his readers? Is God's faithfulness nullified by the unfaithfulness of man? That's a good question. Think of Israel. Is Israel, as recorded in the Bible, faithful to God? Not from ten seconds after they received the Ten Commandments. I mean literally. Turn the page and they're disobedient. And all the way to the end of the Old Testament, disobedience. All the way through. There are very few examples of obedience, right? Now you've got Caleb, you've got Joshua. David wasn't, but he was because he had a repentant heart. But in, in the greater picture of all of Israel, they were not obedient at all. So you can just apply them in as a picture of us. But anyway, um, uh, is God's faithfulness, think of Israel being unfaithful, all right? And this is an argument for dispensationalism, which I use all the time, even before I talk about ourselves. People will say, well, the Jews were exiled. Does that nullify God's covenant to Israel? No. Did it nullify it the first time? Well, then why should it nullify it the second time, or the third, or the 20th? God has made a covenant. God has made a covenant, and he will not break his word to them. And people that want to deny dispensationalism use that argument, they beat it over your head, they beat it over your head, they beat it over your head, and it doesn't change God at all. Israel may be the most disobedient group of people on the planet, Mm -hmm. Now they very well may be but it does not nullify God's faithfulness to Israel just because they're and think of it with you you're in Christ everybody is everybody here sure that they're saved anybody not sure everybody here is sure they're saved okay if you are disobedient to God and God has said I have sealed you with the Holy Spirit right he said you believed you received okay that's what it says in the Bible if you are unfaithful to God does that nullify what he has done in you It will never do it. Never. That's why God says it's a guarantee. And that's why when people email me and they say I'm a heretic because I believe in once saved, always saved, or eternal salvation, or however you want. Guess what it says in Hebrews? He's the author of eternal salvation, right? People tell me this all the time. Well, you're a heretic because you say that people are saved and they can't lose their salvation. I didn't say it. I mean, I do say it, but I'm just repeating what Scripture says. The Bible says it.
1: Well David said restore to me the joy
0: Joy Of of my my salvation salvation. that's right Thy salvation that's right Israel is Israel is Israel And their unfaithfulness does not Change God at all And Charlie Garrett is Charlie Garrett Is Charlie Garrett and no matter how many times I screw up Which is a lot It doesn't change his faithfulness to me Through the promise he made when I came to him And I said I want what Jesus has done Okay I don't understand How people cannot understand that a perfect example would be somebody Somebody sends money to a church, right? And he watches them online. I'm using a church, not the superior one. I'm just giving a general example. Somebody sends money to a church, okay? It's a gift. He sends it out, and then that Sunday he hears something that the pastor says, and he says, oh, I don't like that. And he emails the church, and he says, there's an envelope coming. Please send it back to me. <laughs> Was it a gift? No, of course not he's changed his mind. God does not do that. God is not an Indian giver. And when he gives you a gift, he doesn't say, you need to take this gift and um, that clock, that clock is a gift, the one on the back wall, right? He says, I want to give you this gift. Okay. Does he, after giving it to you, say, I want you to put that clock in the sanctuary of the church? No, it's your clock. You do whatever you want with it. If he said, I'm giving you this clock and I want you to put it on the sanctuary of the church next to the cross, was that a gift at all? No. He's dictated what you are to do with it. It's not a gift at all. A gift is something he gives you and he says, you be responsible with this. I'm entrusting you with this here, right? That's what salvation is. I've given it to you. Now you have care over this gift. If he says, I'm going to take it back, please send it back in the mail because I don't like you anymore, it wasn't a gift. And if he says, I want you to do this and this and this with it, or I want it back, then it wasn't a gift. Yes, sir.
1: When I've tried to explain to people that were curious about spirituality, I worded it to them kind of like in the terms of Christmas. If I come to your house and I bring you a gift... Got a box, got right. a bow on it, got a wrapping on it, and I set the present down and I say, "I brought you a Christmas present." And then we get to talking, and we the present still sits there, and he hasn't opened it. It's not his gift still yet. Right. Oh, that's Even true too. Even if leave the house and go away for a month, and he still leaves it wrapped. And hasn't opened it No, it's his if He you hasn't left taken it there, the gift He hasn't accepted the
0: gift Well, that's true And I would say He hasn't accepted it If he handed it back to you If it's still in the house It's his gift He can open it whenever he wants But But you've w- got to open the gift That's true you, you have to receive the gift You have to receive it I, And I, I would I would modify that Because that could lead to a, a little bit of a theological error Is that You You have received the gift If you haven't opened it Then you're not doing anything With it and there's a difference because I may have received my salvation. I can go to church the rest of my life and never mature. And I just haven't opened the gift that Christ has given me. Okay? So I would modify that and say that if he has accepted it into his home and he hasn't opened it, then he's not developing as a Christian. But he has received it from you. Once you leave the house, it is his gift.
1: He is mine. Yeah. Because I know when I really felt given, I agreed to take
0: it That's right. You took it out. I stop
1: I stopped playing God. I accept. God.
0: That's right, and now it's time for you to make sure you apply that salvation in the right way. And I so,
1: felt I was not
0: and well, and that's a problem. That that is a problem that way too many people have. I just I don't know if the people heard you. She said that there are people that say I'm not worthy of your salvation. What's the problem with that? You will never be. You will never be worthy of his salvation. Not ever. Not one of us is ever worthy of it. And the problem is you are applying that to your human standards. It's the same argument. You're saying, I'm not worthy of this. And I hear this all the time. People say, no, I haven't received Christ because I'm not worthy of it. Well, guess what? Neither am I, but I received it. I'm on a different path than you are because I understand that I am unworthy of it. And that is the difference. And it took you a while to realize that. And that's because of the upbringing, the, not your mother's but the, I, I don't want to say the church you were attending, but that, that's a very common thing in, can I say the church? Catholic church. Okay. Yes. No, if, I,
1: didn't
0: work I know you didn't. I'm saying that you attended the Catholic church and that's something that you will have instilled in you in a Catholic church, is that when you hear that. I know you did. I, your, yes. your father was a preacher. So, or your mother's yeah. father was a preacher. Yeah. That's right. And But I understand that. But I'm saying that there are churches that will instill that in you. It's kind of a Catholic theology, but other churches will do that as well. They'll say that, you know, well, you don't deserve this. Well, of course I don't. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you do deserve. And that's the thing that we have to let people understand, is that salvation is something that is undeserved. You can't merit it, and therefore you might as well just receive it and say thank you. And that's why we should be worshiping, is because we got something that is so, so far above us, so far above us. So let's go on. Um, We have, um, uh, okay, I'm just going to start again with verse 3, 8. Um, Is God's faithfulness nullified by the unfaithfulness of man? Does man's unrighteousness demonstrate the righteousness of God? Is the truth of God increased through my lie to his glory? Each question and its answer has led Paul to say, if the answers are yes, then we might as well say, let us do evil that good may come. That is his ultimate case there. All of these first three or four questions have led to the one that he's asking now. If all of those things are true, then we might as well go out and do evil because good is going to come out of it. And so we're going to close the church and we're all going to go down to the bar down the road and we're going to get as drunk as possible because we're going to show the world how merciful God is on us as sinful Christians.
1: That's, That's kind of what the Islamic terrorists That's right? exactly right. They're blowing people up and doing evil. That's right. Because they think it's
0: going to be they, they think that, and they also think that they are are uh, they are they doing something to glorify God through what they're doing when they're not. That's exactly right. So, this line of argumentation, which Paul has gone through, one, two, three, four, and then this final thing, it is known as a reductio ad absurdum, or reduction to absurdity. Okay, <laughs> If God is somehow positively affected by whatever evil man does, then let us take the most evil course of all. See that? If I make a little white lie and God is glorified, and if I make a bigger lie and God is more glorified, then I might as well just go out and do the most wicked thing I can possibly think of how glorified we'll be. Here's a good example. Here's a real good example of this. Jeffrey Dahmer. Everybody remember him? Yeah, eight, remember people. eight people? Okay. Guess what he did when he finally went to pres- When he went to prison, before he was beaten to death? He received Christ. You talk about seeing God's glory multiplied. People will be standing at the great white throne judgment and they'll say, well, what about him, what he did? they'll say, it's under the blood. You talk about the glory of God. And so all of the people that know that this guy ate people and he is forgiven might say, well, I'm going to go out and eat people and maybe do something even worse because that will show how glorious God is. That is reductio ad absurdum. He was forgiven for what he did. He's not intentionally doing it because he's forgiven. There's a world full of difference, a universe full of difference between the two. But Jeffrey Dahmer is a perfect example of the mercy of God. Somebody that did something that every person in here goes, oh, I can't even imagine it. And yet he'll be standing there with us redeemed because of Christ. That is amazing. That's if, you know, if if it was a true conversion, I have no reason to not believe it because he avowed Jesus openly. So there you go That is increasing the glory of God Through what I've done But not after the fact Or because of the fact It's because of the mercy Yes Bob Jones Sr. has a book Sold out But never do So are we Never do wrong To get a chance to do right That's right That's a very good Did everybody hear the name of that? Never do wrong To get a a chance to do right That's right Back to Paula White don't do wrong and a chance to do right. She's out there, on oh, I'm getting people saved. She's doing wrong in the process. Sorry. Okay? Never do wrong to get a chance to do right. Okay? So, um, uh, if God is somehow positively affected by whatever evil man does, then let us take the most evil course of all. The idea is that when we commit temporal evil, that means in the stream of time, temporal evil, the result will be the greater good of glorifying God. If so, then no matter what we do, no matter what we do, the outcome justifies the means. Okay? We could take that to the Hitler, you know, the final solution or whatever. You know? You could could go... Any any terribly evil thing that people do and say, well, we're going to justify... The outcome will justify the means. It never does. It never does when you are dealing with an infinitely holy God. Okay? Unfortunately, this means that stealing would not only be acceptable, but it would be a good thing. How many of you would like to be broken into today? Not one of you. But you, if you're using this argument, you might as well just leave your door unlocked and say, come on in, because God is going to be glorified through you coming in and doing that, and if you knock me on the head, it'll be even better. Right? That's, that's the logic. But nobody thinks it's fun when it happens to them. Right? That's the problem here. So, um, uh, it, they wouldn't think that it's only acceptable, but they'd think that it's a good thing personal property would have no value with this logic. Murder would magnify God, and therefore it would be the right course of action in any circumstance. Where do we see this every single day of our lives? That Abortion. abortion right there. These people think that they are doing good <coughs> by committing evil. And churches out there blessing Planned Parenthood. How many have I had in the prophecy updates? Two or three in the past year. Going out and praying. That, that's right. These churches are saying that good is coming because of the evil that we're doing. That is the most perverse thing that you can think of. It starts with the white lie, and it goes all the way to something like that, and that is exactly what Paul is speaking about here. How corrupt can we be to show the glory of God? Terrible stuff. Okay, um, another example. Adultery would be a noble thing. Marvelous thing, wouldn't it? Getting married would simply be a step towards many partners. All to bring about a better purpose. For every sin we commit, the glory of God would shine forth all the more resplendently. Right? The absurdity of such thoughts is self-evident. But such is the confused state of the unclear thinker. That's why we come to Bible studies. That's why we think these things through. You start with a little bit, a little bit of yeast, and it gets through the whole dough. Tell you an example about yeast that you may have heard me say in a sermon back at Grace. San Francisco sourdough bread. The most famous sourdough bread in the entire world. Does anybody know what makes it so famous? They made their sourdough 150 or so years ago, when it wasn't even a state, okay? And they took a piece of that bread, and they cut it off that night, and they set it off to the side. It's called a starter. And they made their dough, and they went home for the night. And the next day, they took that starter and they put it into the loaf of bread the next day, that they, the loaf, and they mixed it in. And they have done this every single day for over 150 years. Cut off a piece, make your bread, save that piece for tomorrow. That is how infectious yeast is. The same yeast from over 150 years ago is still being used 150 years later. It infects everything. Now imagine the person that forgets to set aside the starter. That's the end of his job, I'll tell you that. But, you know, you see the the thing, though, is that a little bit of yeast goes a long way. And when it gets into the church in the way that we're seeing in the world today, this is what Paul is talking about right here in Romans chapter 3. It is sin which is magnified in people's eyes thinking that they're doing something that is bringing glory to God. When, in fact, all they are doing is shaming his name and they're disgracing themselves as they build their diving board for the highway or for the jump into the lake of fire. That is all they're doing, one nail at a time, adding a little more wood in so they can have a better jump off into the lake of fire. It is terrible stuff. Anyway, um, so uh, where was I? Adultery, I said, getting married, and for every sin we commit, the glory of God would shine forth all the more brightly. The absurdity of such thoughts is self-evident, and I said this, but such is the confused state of the unclear thinker. They only see the results of the first half of their argument, but they have failed to think the entire scenario through. As evident as it is, this is the state which the world is rapidly heading towards. As a one-line arguments fill the cyber world of Facebook and Twitter, our ability to reason out important issues is diminishing because we no longer think clearly, and they don't teach it in schools. We cannot have critical thinking taught in schools because if we do, people will understand what they're being driven to. That's exactly why. As Paul saw in his own time, those around him misunderstood either in unintentionally or intentionally his comments about the grace of God and reported that Paul had actually affirmed that this was what Christianity held to. But he, let me read that again so you know what I'm talking about. He said, um, uh, and why not say let us do good that evil may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. He says their condemnation is just because he never said that. He never even hinted at that. Read Philippians chapter 3, and he'll tell you. As a matter of fact, real quickly, we'll go there. Real quickly, so you know I'm talking about. The first half of Philippians chapter 3, he talks about a certain group of people. The, begins with the Jew, J, and ends with Udayizer. Anybody? Okay, the Judaizers. And um, where am I? Relation Philippians. Ephesians, Philippians. He says here, um, uh, chapter 3. He talks about the Judaizers, and then uh, he talks about not being perfected, and then he gets down, um, where is it, verse 17. First half is the Judaizers, and then he talks to what you would call the antinomian heresy, the people that say that we have a license to sin. He says, brethren, join in following my example. He doesn't say my example. He says, join in following my example. In other words, he's following Christ. Join me in following Christ as and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is exactly what he's talking about in Romans chapter 3. He says, Whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Um, yeah, who set their mind on earthly things. And he says, For our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, the body that we're stuck in, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I understand you're in this body, I understand it's hard, I understand that the walk is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but don't follow these people. They say you're forgiven, and so why not just do whatever? that's the antinomian heresy it's the heresy of saying i have license to sin because i'm forgiven just like that pastor that i mentioned earlier and just as what he's speaking about in romans chapter three that is completely wrong and as a matter of fact why is it a heresy because somebody uh, emailed me and says well this isn't really a heresy he says the judaizers reinserting the law is but this isn't and i said well what does it say in the next verse who's Uh, uh, what is it, Uh, let me read you rather than paraphrasing because um, he says right there, this is why it's a heresy. It's because um, Philippians chapter 3, he said, whose end is destruction. Well, if they're off to perdition, then that means it's a heresy because they're teaching their perdition to other people. A heresy does not keep a person from being saved. It keeps the next person from being saved. If they're already on the highway to hell, then guess what? They're teaching a heresy by telling other people that. That is Universalism. Everybody no universalism—the universal church down there. There's no such thing as hell. Everybody's going to heaven. And as I said a million times, it's the stupidest thing in the world is to go to a universalist church. Why? If you're going to heaven, why do you need to go to church? You're wasting your time. Go do something. Go to the beach, right?
1: Socialize. What? To socialize.
0: To socialize. Well, I'd rather socialize anywhere, but in a church, even if it's a universal church, right? I mean, if I if I'm already going to heaven, I'm not talking about. Me, now, I'm talking about in that con- context. Why even bother? There are a million other things you can do than socialize with people that are, you know, go to the beach and socialize with them. Anyway, but you're right. It, it's just a social organization, but it is true. So um, we'll go on. Um, uh, let's see here. As Paul saw in his own time, I said that, those around him misunderstood, either intentionally or unintentionally, his comments about the grace of God and reported that Paul had actually affirmed that this is what Christianity held. He says in Philippians 3, that's not the case. But he, noting that God's grace is magnified through the repentant sinner, never went to such extremes, never. For every note of how gracious God is, there is a note of warning that those who call on Jesus need to abstain from willful sin. You'll never find anything other than that in Paul's writings. He says, you're given grace, you're free from sin, there's now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus, not counting men's sins against him. And then he tells you, don't do these things. He never says one without the other. He always tells you we are not to act in this way because we want to emulate God who is not this way. The whole point is to be more Christ-like. And you can't do that if you're acting out an earthly walk. It's not possible. So, um, the Christian world of today, though is turning away from the truth of the Bible and is actually following the absurd course that Paul lays out I brought up at least three examples in the past 10 minutes exactly what Paul warns against is what is happening in the church exactly do you know I'll add this into the prophecy update this week and so I'll say it now because it doesn't matter it will be there is um, uh, the Church of England they were debating on whether they should allow homosexual sexuality or not there was a, a, a bad decision in the Church of England just yesterday, I think it was. A bad decision. They are following this path. You know, and it's the Anglicans. It's where the Episcopals are already. And they've been trying to stay it off. It was 50-50 almost. And right down the tubes, Methodist Church, Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church, not all of them. I'm not talking about all the people, and I'm talking about the churches, their doctrines, their policies, right down the tubes. And it is going exponentially. The Church of England is completely departed from any Normalcy, and it's following this path that Paul wrote about right here. Okay? Homosexuals preach from the pulpit. Perversion of all sorts is openly condo- condoned by the church, and yet to them, the grace of God is expected to cover such unrepentant actions. As Paul says, when this attitude is seen, their condemnation is just. God will judge and condemn those who hold such flawed views. They failed to use the brains He gave them and their actions will result in eternal swim in the lake of fire let us heed the proverb which says proverbs 18:17 the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him oh he sounds good he's got a great argument you know and then they come to another church and they listen and they say well that that sounds pretty good too and then the human nature will say i like the first argument better whether it's correct or not and they'll go back to that one right you always have to follow what is truth. You have to follow what's true, not what sounds best. The first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. And then all of a sudden it seems a little muddier than it was at the first. And you have to mm-hmm. think, which is right? Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow men? Which one is better to my earthly appetite and which one is better for my spiritual well being? We all have the choice to make. Little life application. This is going to be our last verse because we only got 10 more minutes. And let me see. How long is 3 9? Hang on just a sec here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do 3-9. We'll get it done in 10 minutes. Life application, an argument which sounds fine on the surface, such as allowing abortion for rape or incest, is found false when it is completely thought through. However, most people hear the initial argument, and they stop with that, agreeing that the murder of the unborn is somehow just. When you are presented with an argument, make sure to think its consequences through to the end. When you do you may find that what originally seemed as right as rain is actually as twisted as a tornado. Okay? 3-9. Let me read that to you. We're going to do a new paragraph now. uh, And that's okay. We'll just reread the beginning of the paragraph. Oh, what a great paragraph this is. All right. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Paul asks the question. Not at all, he says. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are under sin okay? He's going to get some great arguments here, which are always taken out of context by certain groups of people, but that's okay, especially, um, uh, you know, election, Calvinist idea of election. They'll use uh, verse 10, which we'll get into next week, and completely twist it, completely out of context, but that's okay. Um, Verse 9, what then? What is the result of the questions that are posed in 3, 1, and 2? What advantage, then, has the Jew... Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Paul noted that there is both advantage and profit in being a Jew and being circumcised. We talked about that. However, he then laid out the case that if their actions did not correspond with the sign that they bore, that God would be proven just in his judgment of them. We went into great detail on that. It took us almost two full weeks to do. He also showed that his faithfulness is not negated by their unfaithfulness. And I talked about that at the beginning of the class. Just because the Jews are not faithful to him does not mean that he will be unfaithful to them. All right, And that his receiving glory through their unrighteous actions gave them no excuse in acting in an unrighteous manner. That's what we've been talking about for the past 20 or 30 minutes. And so he asks this question. Are we better than they. In the end, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? The answer is not at all. In chapter one he proved that the <laughs> Gentiles are bound under sin and then in chapters two and three he showed that the Jews are also or we have also previously charged is what he says here in this verse we have previously charged. You. He has laid out his case completely and absolutely. okay the charges have been made and they have been fully substantiated. all are under sin. Romans, what is it, 3.23, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We'll be there next week. Okay, all are under sin. This is a truth not just found in Paul's philosophy, but is found in Scripture itself. As Paul notes in Galatians 3, verse 22, he says, but the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile doesn't matter what your state was or your position, how noble you are or how igno- ignoble you are. It doesn't make any difference. Christ, uh, faith in Christ Jesus is what you will, will reconcile you to God the Father. Mm-hmm. Yes, Paul wrote Galatians, but he is citing scripture in Galatians, which at the time consisted only of the Old Testament. The proof of Paul's claim comes from the earliest pages of the Bible and it continues right up until its last paragraph something more would be needed. When I say the last paragraph, I mentioned this, I think, in the, the uh, uh, sermon on Sunday. The very last verse of the Old Testament ends with a curse, not a blessing. We'd think, hey, the, the Bible failed. If that was the end of the Bible, God failed, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. The last word of the Old Testament, at least in English, is the word curse. That's not what God intended when man fell. He said, I'm going to make it all right way back in Genesis chapter 3. But, It says, um, uh, where was I? And the Bible continues right up until its last paragraph. Something more would be needed. That's Jesus. As chapter 3 unfolds, we will see this clearly. Life application, and we're done for the day. God has shown in his word that all people are bound under sin. This doesn't merely mean that we are sinners individually, but that we are under a broad kingdom of sin. We are trapped in it, and there is only one exit, and only one exit. Take time to read Jesus' words from John 14, 1 through 6, and then stand on, fast on the truth that Jesus is the only way, the only way to be reconciled to God. Then determine in your heart not to waffle on this conviction when confronted by those who challenge it. Because unfortunately, that's what's happened in almost every church in America today is that people waffle in their convictions because they don't want to look as intolerant or they don't want to look at, as a, a homophobe or whatever thing you can think of in your mind. I don't want to offend. I want to be politically correct. And so you waffle a little bit on Jesus being the only way to being saved. You must receive Jesus. That is it. John 14 verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I've seen that twisted to say many religions can come into Christ. Uh, Sorry. Doesn't work that way. If it were not so, I would have told you. i go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? Don't waffle in that. Remember those words and don't waffle in it. Somebody asks you, how do you get to heaven? The only way. Brother, would you close us in prayer tonight? You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we
1: take such joy in being able to come together as a believing group. That we fed these type of teachings from Charlie, and we thank you for the environment that you provide. Thank you for your Word, and we thank you for the application for our week going ahead. That mm. uh, we take some of these nuggets and apply them, and Show them to others that don't know. So we ask for safety in going home, and we ask for a continuance of just uh, being enlightened by your word and growing constantly and looking for more. In Jesus' name we
0: pray. Amen. Okay, let me back this baby up and let's give these guys a goodbye. Here we go. We're going to say break. And will take just a second here. Okay, that's it. We love y'all. We want you to have a wonderful week ahead, okay? We'll see y'all later.